ParkPal is a companion iPhone app for trips to Disneyland Paris. You can check live attraction wait times, find out schedules for shows, character meet and greets, and parades. You can see restaurant opening hours, menus, and prices, and you can scan in your fast passes and set reminder alerts. ParkPal is available for free from the App Store. Action! Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never even heard of. We've never heard of you, but we know what you do. And we're going to the movies. So Joshua and I watch a lot of films, but there's always gaps in our knowledge. So in this episode, I've recommended Joshua watch a movie he's not yet seen. For this episode, I chose the Stanley Kubrick classic, Barry Lyndon. The film is a fictional biopic based on the Thomas Thackeray novel of the same name and follows the exploits of a roguish lad played by Ryan O'Neill as he travels from Ireland to Europe, taking in the Hundred Years' War and the upper echelons of high society. Joshua, what were your thoughts on this gorgeous movie? I thought it was long. No, I... uh, It is three hours long. It's almost three hours long, yeah. Um, I did enjoy it. I felt at the end, the film's named after Barry Lyndon, but I didn't... it wasn't really about him. It was about the chaos that he kind of incited around him. It, it was more about the characters that he kind of screwed over and the, the ones who died and all this kind of stuff. I felt like I didn't really know who he was apart from just a bit of a swindler. Um, you know, I knew that he loved his son. I knew that he was shit with money and I knew that he was good at shooting a gun. But apart from that, I didn't feel that I knew him that well because he didn't really choose to do anything he just kind of fell into everything um yeah happenstance and fate seems to play a a big part in this movie yeah he doesn't he doesn't necessarily pursue anything in fact the only thing he really pursues is what the woman at the beginning the one who um his cousin who essentially betrays him and, and goes with um captain quinn um, played by Leonard Rossiter. Who's hilarious. He's oh, he's just brilliant, he isn't just he? He trembles. Everything he does <laughs> trembles. Um, I, I, I fucking love this movie. I know you do. That's why I was kind of thinking, you know, Rob isn't a huge fan of period dramas. Why the fuck does he like this film? And then I realised it's because Barry Lyndon kisses the guy on the lips when he's dying. And I was like, right. <laughs> oh, really? That's why Rob You think I it. love death kisses. <laughs> so when I first tried to watch this movie, I was probably about 20 and I just didn't get it. I couldn't get, I can never get past the first 40 minutes. I think he gets into the, um, the hundred years war and I just lost concentration. It wasn't until last year that I saw it in its entirety because I saw it at the cinema and in a way in, in cinema, you're forced it's a completely different view. You experience. will enjoy this. We, you're forced to watch it because there's what else can you do? Yeah. And I just, just don't go on your phone, kids. Yeah, I, I just got it. I loved it. I, it just it's exquisite. I I think in terms of the films that Kubrick was releasing just before and just after, it sits very nicely in between um, 2001 in 1968, A Clockwork Orange in 1971, this one in 1975, and then The Shining in 1980 so it's in that in in that great period of Kubrick's career where he was 
firing on all cylinders. And he, he could make whatever he wanted, right? Could make whatever he wanted. He just couldn't do any wrong. This flopped at the box office. But in terms of direction and composition and cinematography and use of music and pacing, narrative structure, it is his unknown masterpiece. Mm. It, well, it is kind of heralded now as his best, one of his best films. Yeah. His masterpiece. Yeah. But even just putting aside what, what you know, the critics or the BFI or Sight and Sound think, <laughs> it it is just a masterclass in everything. It is phenomenal and it's so funny. It is really it is funny. like darkly, blackly funny. It's the, a black black comedy, it's a yeah, tragedy, essentially. It, the like the priest and the way that he's just he's given the wedding sermon and he knows it's a complete sham in a way because he knows that Redmond Barry just doesn't love this woman, but she loves him. And he's turning the pages without even looking at the Bible. It's so dry and that narration is so dry and almost yeah. like knowing like Who was that narration? Um, oh, you know, I I do not know. Talk to me about the music. What do you What did you think about the music used? Oh God, if I hear a flipping penny whistle one more time, <laughs> I'm gonna lose my load. <laughs> lose your load? I thought if you didn't I, like it. <laughs> if I hear a penny whistle one more time, I'm gonna go crazy. Um, yeah, it was very repetitive and really odd. But he he used that. I, can't, I don't know what's called. I think it's called Sweet Number Four. He used that, you know, dun, 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 that song over and over again to, to, um, in different tones or with different instruments, different pace, different keys, um, different. Could you only get the rights to one song? But the, he, I think he used it to, to link the fact that this is one person's story. We are following Barry all the way from Ireland, or rather Redmond, we're following I Redmond all the way from Ireland through the Hundred Years' War to England, where he, he marries into aristocracy. It's his one story, so of course the same song must follow him. It's used in a way to heighten such a wide variety of, of emotions. So either either joy, either tension, either uh, sort of looming evilness, I guess, sadness... I think it's a genius fucking way to use that one song. Mm. The duel scene. Oh, yeah. The last duel. The last duel. Yeah. <clears throat> Which apparently took 42 days to edit. Yeah, I could believe that. Yeah. It's, I could what, believe it's a that. It's a five-minute sequence? Yeah, two weeks to film or something. Yeah. The whole the whole film took 250 Three, days yeah, to, to days. film. Yeah. Um, the budget went from 2.5 million to 11 million. <laughs> um. It was his folly, wasn't it? I just, I just don't think there's anything bad. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing lacking in this movie. Apart it from is... the fact that he doesn't age. Well, he does kind of because what, they, they powdered his hair slightly. Yeah, and... but I mean, like nobody ages in this film. <laughs> you can't really age. I mean, the actor only aged a year. But I, I do think they make, I do think they make um, attempts to at least show that he. Has aged. Let's talk about Ryan O'Neill. Mm. Obviously, he was in Love Story, I think, the year before or a few years before that. I thought he was great. He was really likable. Aside from a dodgy Irish accent. Do you know what? I actually had to Google him because I thought the Irish accent was really good. Really? <laughs> I couldn't tell if he was Irish or not. <laughs> okay, you, you need your, your hearing tested. To be sure, to be sure, yeah. Aside from the Irish accent, I think he gives a performance that is so... It's so quietly brilliant. It's so 
subtle. Mm. He's very. He's an interesting person to watch. Definitely. The character yeah. or the actor. The actor. Yeah. Like he was in Love Story, which I absolutely hated. Nineteen seventy. Fucking awful. Um, and I've not. I don't think I know him from anything else. Well, I knew him from What's Up, Doc, the Peter Bogdanovich film. That I, used to, I used to watch that as a kid. It's like <laughs> a zany. It's almost like a cartoon, but with yeah. him and um, Barbara Streisand. Oh wow. Um, That's a pair. Yeah. Um, let me know your thoughts on the the visual style of the film. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, that's the thing that really struck me was how just painterly and gorgeous it looked. You know, he, uh, Kubrick based a lot of the, the imagery on Thomas Gainsborough, an, an 18th century painter. Um, so, you, you you know, they're just these amazing shots where it focuses in on something like a, a letter in someone's hand and just gradually pulls back mm. to reveal this stunning shot that could, you could hang it on your wall next to your Neon Demon poster. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. I, that's the main thing that really kept me engaged, I think, was, you know, these beautiful visions of, like, uh, kind of misty moors and, and fields and castles, and it's very romantic. I kind of feel that the film, because the film is, is, is based on the Thomas Thackeray novel of the same name, it doesn't take place in our 18th century. No. It takes place in an 18th century, in a different universe, that looks like the paintings versions of the 18th century. Mm. We have no photographs from that that period. So the only historical documents that we have are the paintings that came out of that period. And it's informed our view and our knowledge of what that period looked like. Mm. Nothing looked like that, not really. But this film takes place in that version of the 18th century. And yeah. I think the way that he achieved it is a masterclass in cinematography. I'm going to keep saying it. This film is a masterclass. It is a masterpiece and it is a masterclass in every... I can think of another master word that you could use here. <laughs> in every single aspect. Um, those scenes that were lit just by candlelight. Yeah. Beautiful. It is beautiful. And that the scene where um, his, his wife, when they first meet before they're married, when she walks out onto the the i don't know what is it like a some oh, the veranda patio yeah yeah and it's just like that silvery blue light and she's obviously even dressed in a way that is meant to pick up the light and it yeah it looks absolutely stunning are you talking about the scene where she puts the the, the ribbon down no, her top no because no, no, that was her the cousin yeah, yeah no no it's his wife um it's when he he meets her and they eye flirt over the table and then she goes outside to get some air and he goes after her who doesn't love an eye flirt oh, I know. would you recommend barry linden to people I would. I think I'd recommend it to people who liked period dramas because um, it's kind of an edgy, edgier version of a period drama. Mm. And the war scenes are fantastic. Yeah. Just stunning. This is not Sense and Sensibility. No. This, this is, is a very stylized and... version of, of that period. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I really liked it. I did really like it. Um, but I was surprised that you liked it so much, I think. That's the main thing. I'm a big Kubrick fan. Yeah. He could have done anything. And he did do everything. I mean, he operated in almost every genre. Well, you can see why Christopher Nolan holds him up as his ultimate yeah. director. Because that's basically what Christopher Nolan is, is doing, is trying to hit each of the genres that Kubrick did so well. Oh, really? That's what it looks like. Oh. So maybe we'll see a um, a period drama from Chris Nolan yeah, next. Yeah, maybe. But it'll probably have robots in it. And fucking Lasers. Batman. <laughs> with his glass eye. Putting Chris Nolan to one side, do you think this sort of movie gets made now period dramas 
but it's not just a period drama, is it? Because it's it doesn't fall into the period drama genre that let's say working title might put out there. This isn't a normal period drama. It's quite subversive in in, in that respect. I w- I wonder how Stanley Kubrick would make it today if he was alive to make it today because it does make some interesting kind of narrative decisions like so the the narration itself is quite dry and and i think maybe that's the reason i felt like i didn't know barry Lyndon that well because we were kept slightly at a distance by the narration um i think there are people who are making decent period dramas like joe wright obviously did atonement that was a while ago um and there's uh, james kent who did testament of youth which is just a, an amazing kind of wartime love story um, and he's got a film coming out soon called The Aftermath. I think it's out next year, which is set in the aftermath of the Second World War in Germany. Um, so I think people are making kind of quite bold, unperiod drama films. Um, but I think obviously Kubrick is a, a, a kind of law unto himself, really, isn't he? Yeah, it's almost like Kubrick has become a genre. It's almost like when you say Lynchian or Kubrickian is that, is that it's a mouthful <laughs> Stanleyan. but you know it's almost like a style that people have adopted unto itself and I think this film goes some way to heightening that yeah it's like he made a period film without having ever seen anybody else making a period film yeah he just decided to do what he wanted to do one last thing I love that the, nar- the narrator is someone we never meet yeah it's just like this kind of god's eye yeah view of the world who just he just happens to be focusing on barry linden for some reason yeah yeah but it's almost like in the way that you know it's based on the book when we read a book we become the narrator but the characters never meet us mm-hmm. so i i would recommend this movie to everyone and anyone because it's a masterclass in everything biddy <laughs> well my brother that was barry linden directed by stanley kubrick we want you to join the conversation. What did you think of Barry Lyndon? Tweet us your thoughts and your reviews to at TornStubsPod, even if you're listening to this episode way after we've released it. And please do make like a 90s pop star and share the podcast far and wide. Lovely. I like that. We love a five-star rating. So the share. <laughs> We're off to do a duel. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. And I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! <laughs>